Awesome. All right, well, we might make a start. Um, thanks, everyone, for coming out to our first proper teaching night. Hey, um, on relationships. We're going to do another one of these. Well, we're going to try and do this once a month. And so if there are things that you'd like, like me or someone else to teach on specifically, um, talk to me about it because this is designed to bless you guys and um, to help you follow Jesus because that's what we all here to do. Um, so we're going to do the next one on um, decision-making and will of God. Like how do I know what God's will is for me? How do I make decisions and stuff? Because uh, that's something that I've needed like heaps of help with. So um, um, anything we can do. And I think Elijah's pretty keen for that one from that last week. Anything um, we can do to just like bless you guys and help you understand what the Bible teaches about that. Um, the way we're going to do every one of these is to try and make the talk be a bit shorter so that we can spend, like keep it real and just like talk about questions and stuff. Because I think that's the easiest way to really engage with what the Bible teaches on things. So big warm welcome to Cy Walker for joining us tonight. Um, you too, man. You look young. Thanks. You've got a real baby face, bro. You look really young. Yeah. So, um, um, look, what I want to do tonight is um, something a little bit different in giving this message. Uh, it's going to be a little bit controversial, um, what the Bible teaches about this. I just want us to just take like all your experience with relationships or whatever you might have been told in the past and just try as best you can just to park it and just to look with fresh eyes about what the Bible teaches, right? Because that's like we're all about following Jesus. We're about hearing from him. We're about knowing what he wants for us, right? And so we want to listen with fresh perspective, fresh eyes, to just hear from God, um, to know what, what he wants for us. So that's where my heart is. So here we go. Um, like, uh, you know, I want to I want to just like allow this word to kind of just wash over tonight. So I, I'm going to need heaps of help. Um, we're going to look at a few different uh, Bible passages, but really I want to give us kind of three different um, things that the Bible teaches about relationships. I'm talking about like mainly about dating relationships. Um, so let's let's just pray and then we'll like deep dive into the Bible and and my three points and then do our Q and A panel. Right, let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Lord, just tonight, I'm just mindful of my weakness and um, my limitation in opening up God's word. I know it's late on a Sunday and and uh, many of us are tired, but we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word. We want you to speak to us and give us fresh insight. We want to hear from Jesus and we want to listen to your words tonight. And so I just ask the Holy Spirit, just just be moving in our midst to help us understand this, like with fresh eyes to hear from you. What do you tell us about our relationships, what it means to be in them, what your hopes and purposes are for us, what it means to really honor you in this, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So three uh, simple points. So first point tonight, if you're making notes, is point number one about relationships. Relationships, according to the Bible, are not about you. That's my first point. Um, and to, to really deep dive on this, if you have a Bible, um, crack it open to Genesis um, chapter 2. And um, I'm going to read from verse 15. And I'm going to read a, a couple of different verses around. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Point number one. The Lord God took the man 
it says, and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. Now jump a few verses down, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked now not ashamed. So it's a beautiful passage, like many of you will be familiar with it, right? And it's this beautiful picture of man and woman, how God made man and woman, and he made them in his image, right? With equal value and dignity and worth in his sight, but different, different roles designed to fit together in this kind of perfect matching, complementary way, right? So the man was designed by God, it says uh, back at the start in verse 15 that we read, to work the ground and to keep it. He was designed to work and to keep the earth, to cultivate it, um, to protect it. Um, Whereas the woman, according to verse 18, was designed by God to help him. It's this beautiful unified team that they're meant to be together, working both, both perfectly together. And then the Bible says something really interesting on the back end of that. It says, therefore, that is because of God's like beautiful team design, right? Therefore, uh, in gender, because of his beautiful team design, the man will leave his parents, get married, and they'll become one flesh. They'll become one flesh together. Now, one flesh is kind of a metaphor. It's this metaphor for this picture of perfect, kind of beautiful unity that exists between a man and a woman. It's kind of a metaphor uh, that's kind of exemplified in sexual union together by a man and a woman, right, in sex. Um, They were naked and not ashamed at the end, it says in verse 25. But the beautiful thing about this passage is that Paul like jumps off this passage um, in Ephesians and like takes it even further, right? And you guys might be familiar with this. If you have your Bibles, like flick open to Ephesians 5 and um, I'm going to read from verse 22. So Ephesians, um, right down the back, Ephesians 5. You have to bear with me because it's going to come full circle back to relationships, all right? But we're going to take a take a little bit to get there. Ephesians 5, 22. And let me read. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to this. 
This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The beautiful thing that Paul does in this passage is he jumps off Genesis, that beautiful image of the team that God creates in gender. Man who's meant to work and keep the ground together with his wife, who's designed by God to, to help him in this task, this beautiful complementary team. And he says, do you know what, guys? There's this mystery that's been hidden since the beginning that God intended right from the start, that this was meant to be kind of this living, breathing sermon illustration pointing to something greater, even beyond this relationship to Jesus and the church. This, the way that a husband loves his wife is meant to reflect the way Christ loves the church, lays down his life to love her. The way that a wife submits to her husband is meant to reflect the beautiful way that the, the church responds to, to Christ. It's not about the relationship in itself. The relationship is meant to point to something beyond itself. It's meant to point to the gospel. It's meant to point to Jesus. Um, it's this beautiful picture. It's this amazing thing that, that this was the hidden meaning in Genesis all the way through from the very beginning. That marriage and sexual union was meant to be all about Christ and the church. That this incredible like intimacy, the love, the passion, that the, the sacrificial commitment that exists between a man and a woman, it's meant to point to the sacrificial love, the laying down of himself that exists between Christ and the people that he loves. That's us as the church. Um, you know, uh, in this book I was reading recently, it says sexual oneness within marriage was created by God to serve as a foreshadowing of the spiritual oneness that would exist between Christ and his church. As the great church father Augustine once wrote, it is of Christ and the church that is most truly said, the two shall become one flesh. And the point, I mean, it kind of sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? Like to think that sex is actually meant to be about Christ and the church. Like you think about it, like, what? Like, that's weird. Like, no, like, oh, what, what's that about? But actually, like Christ and his plan for the church came before God even made sex. Like God designed to have a people for himself before the beginning of time. And God created sex the way he created it with a plan and a purpose was that it would ultimately point in some way the intimate, amazing, loving relationship that was to exist, that is to exist between Jesus Christ and his people. I mean, it kind of blows your mind in one way. And, and it's this amazing, beautiful design. Now, what on earth does that have to do with dating and relationships? That's probably the question that you're probably thinking at this point. And the thing, the reason why I want to start here is because you won't want to, you won't be able to understand what the Bible teaches about relationships unless you understand that marriage and sex were designed with this purpose always in mind. If you don't understand that marriage and sex exist for the purpose of pointing to Christ in the church, you won't understand about dating and relationships. So that's why we need to start here. You know, if you approach our relationships without knowing it's meant to be about Jesus, I think in short, and what I've done in the past is that you just make it about yourself, about your own wants, about your own needs. Um, you know, something I've been thinking about this week is when it comes to relationships, what's the first thing people talk about? You know, when it comes to thinking about, you know, someone that you might want to date or um, so on and so forth, what do people talk about? Well, they talk about what do you like? They talk about, well... You know, I like this kind of hobbies or this kind of personality. I like someone tall or short. Or I like Asian people or Caucasian people. I like quiet ones or I like confident ones. I like sporty skaters 
or like surfer guys like they're really cute um and like i'm not saying that like that stuff doesn't matter like that does matter but if if that's the main thing you've missed like the point altogether that's not meant to mean the main thing at all like relationships are not to be mainly about achieving a checklist of the things that you want your preferences it's not even meant to be about you it's meant to be about jesus and that's kind of my first point. Jesus is the main thing. Everything else is secondary or even less than secondary. But how do you say thirdary? Tertiary? I don't know. Anyway, so so if you approach relationships without knowing it's about Jesus, you make it about yourself. Also, if you don't know that sex and marriage are meant to be about Jesus, you'll start messing with it. And in the means, uh, like in the process of doing that, you'll start misrepresenting Jesus. So, you know, the question is, if God designed marriage and sex to be a picture of Christ and church, this picture of incredible intimacy, this picture of incredible love and passion and sacrifice and commitment, you know, what picture do we paint when we mess with sex outside of marriage? And the simple answer and painful answer is that we, we portray that Christ really isn't that committed to his bride at all. You know, that he's maybe with like his bride just for a season and then kind of grows cold and, and moves on. Um, that maybe he gives himself away, but not forever, just for a bit until kind of he changes his mind. That maybe Christ is committed to the church until it gets too hard or until she sins against him or until he stops feeling it or until she gets sick and then he's kind of off. You know, all that he gives himself to the church, but just for his own pleasure, but with no intention of laying himself down at all. Or that the church maybe is committed to Jesus, but only for a bit or till he moves or till the church moves on to, to a new level, someone else. And that's my first point is that relationships are not meant to be about you. They're about Jesus. Second thing, second point, um, moving on from there, not just that relationships are not about you. They're about Jesus. Secondly, relationships are about truly loving someone. Now, if I'm honest, like most of the relationships I was involved with prior to Charlotte, if I'm really honest, were more about myself than anything else. Like to be honest, like if I'm going to be honest, I was pretty lonely, insecure, and I was looking for someone to fill kind of more of a void in my life. Um, and um, and I was pain, painfully insecure. And the question I want to start with thinking about then is what does it mean to truly love someone? What does that mean? Like when we're talking about truly loving someone, what does that even mean? And according to the Bible, truly loving someone, it's both a feeling and an action. Um, it's about, yes, it's about deeply caring about someone, but it's also about being committed to their ultimate good and their well-being no matter what the cost to you personally. You know, if we really love someone and we're committed to their well-being, we need to know what their maker says is good for them, right? Um, what he says about how to treat other people. It's not good enough just to do what feels good or feels right to me or what culture says is right. Because if I do what feels right or feels good to me, ultimately, I'm being driven by self-love and not actually by true love for that person. And the fruit will always be tempted to be, if I'm driven by what feels right to me, to exploit that person to get something back to myself. And we don't want to be about that. We want to be about actually loving someone even when it costs. Um, you know, in our culture, relationships have become consumeristic. And by that, 
by consumeristic, what I mean by that, like a consumer relationship is like you with your grocer down the road. You might like to go to your grocer down the road um, and you might have a good relationship. You might be really friendly with them. Is there a, a like a bogan moth getting people it's around? <laughs> it's all right. He's friendly. We would name him Joshua. <laughs> um, like you might have a relationship with your grocer down the road, right? And you might enjoy getting like your groceries from him or her and you might like be really loyal and stuff. But if he jacks up the prices too high and the quality of the produce goes down too far, you'll say, eh, I'm going to go somewhere else. That's a consumer relationship. And the truth is we do it with all our relationships here as well. You know, we're in it as long as we're getting something out of it. But if the cost gets too high, we're gone. And uh, do you know what? Like, if I'm honest, um, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, so much of what I've wanted in the past from a relationship and I think what we want from relationships, it's, it's selfish. We want stuff for ourselves. But again, to truly love someone, we need to know what God says about relationships. And in the Bible, there's, there's three categories of relationships. And I'm going to, with my dodgy handwriting, I'm going to write them on here. So the first category of relationship and the way we're meant to treat people in the Bible is family relationships. Um, I can take you to the passages, but you probably don't need any convincing that um, in family relationships, any sort of sexual intimacy, whatever it is, that is forbidden. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. Like you intuitively know this one. Nobody asks how far is too far with my mum. <laughs> like uh, you know, you know the answer. There's a certain way of kissing your mum. That's fine. There's a certain way of kissing your mum. That is not fine. <laughs> um, the second. No. <laughs> the second category of relationship in the Bible. Right, is a marriage relationship. And in a marriage relationship, according to 1 Corinthians 7, sexual activity is commanded by God. It's not an optional extra. God commands it. It says in 1 Corinthians 7 that a husband and his wife, they don't own their own bodies. It belongs to the other person. And they're commanded to have sex, except they can abstain for a period of time to devote themselves to praying, it says in the Bible. The third category of the Bible, uh, and sorry, and again in this relationship, um, nobody asks how far is too far with someone outside of my marriage, right? Like we don't ask that question. It's obvious. It's it's a no deal. The third category of the Bible and the final category of the Bible is a neighbor relationship. And that's what everything else falls into, into a neighbor relationship. Um, and in this category... Any sort of sexual activity, according to the Bible, is forbidden. Um, if you don't believe me, hear from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27, 28, he says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Even lusting after someone, even like desiring in your heart to, to sleep with someone, if you're not married, according to Jesus, they're not your wife or your husband. Point to Jesus is like sleeping with them, is like committing adultery. Um, Paul in 1 Timothy 5, and this is the one that is like, like, uh, like so clear and 
and difficult to receive, and we're going to talk about this later. He says in First Corinthians, First uh, Timothy five one, uh, verse one through to two, he says um, about how you should treat um, different people. He says, "Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity." Paul says, "You want a category for how to think about people in neighbor." relationships in the neighbor category outside of your family and outside of marriage, you treat them like family. You treat younger women, if you're a guy, you treat them like sisters. You treat old women like mother. So how far is too far and what are God's guidelines for relationships about how we should treat people of opposite sex? Well, according to the Bible, according to God in God's word, we treat them like family. Anything you wouldn't do with your sister or anything you wouldn't do with your brother, you don't do it. Paul says here, in all purity, treating them like sisters or brothers or mothers or fathers. Um, Now, here's the thing is that in our culture, we've created a fourth category that's actually not in the Bible. And we kind of try and squeeze it somewhere in here. And that's called category four. Dating, right? A dating relationship. Um, we we treat it like it's not really marriage, but it's not really a neighbor relationship. So maybe it kind of exists somewhere in here. It's this fourth category. The thing I want you guys to think about right now, just spend some time just thinking about this. What makes dating different from just being friends? Just think about that. What makes it different from just being a friend with someone? Well, most people would say, well, you kind of are friends. Yeah, but it's not just the same as being friends. There's something else. You know, maybe there's, well, there should be like some sort of romance kind of stuff going on. There should be like they're attracted to each other. And then plus on top of that, there's kind of commitment. So commitment's the big thing. We're committed to each other. So we're kind of, yeah, kind of married. We're not probably, we're not married. So... But we're committed, so we're dating this other category. They're the defining things. So, so that's what dating is. But the question I want to ask following on from that is, but what sort of commitment is there? Well, when you think about it, well, we kind of we really love each other. We're together. We're not going to see anyone else. We're just going to be together. So, yeah, we're we're committed. Well. The question then that follows on from that is, well, what would it take then to leave the relationship if you wanted to leave? Well, I guess if you wanted to leave, you'd kind of have to let that person know that you wanted to leave and then you'd be free, like you wouldn't be dating anymore. So basically then the commitment in a dating relationship is that you're committed to letting the other person know when you're no longer committed. When you think about it. And here's the problem. I think so much of the things that we wonder about what's permittable in a dating relationship is we think it's permittable because there's a commitment that exists between us. But I think actually we're kind of deceived about the level of commitment that really exists. Because I think ultimately, outside of marriage, the commitment really is just 
a commitment to let the other person know when you're no longer committed. All right, so that is um, <clears throat> probably a lot to, to take in because I, I think, you know what, I, I've never heard from the Bible about this prior to, to doing some reading and thinking about it. And I kind of wish that actually when I was dating, there were people to help me with this because we're going to talk more about what our personal, like I didn't practice this and I, I wish I knew because like it's so obvious when you study the scriptures, what it teaches about it. But in summary, the Bible teaches that we're to treat neighbors as family. And the standard is that you wouldn't do anything with your family or anything you wouldn't do with your family. You shouldn't do to a neighbor, including someone that you're dating. Um, if you want, wouldn't be comfortable doing it with your sister or with your brother, then it's a no-go for a neighbor as well. That's what Jesus teaches. That's what Paul teaches. Do not rebuke an older man, but treat him and encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, some of you are going to immediately recall at this because it doesn't feel right to you. You feel like, man, that just feels like so wrong. Um, that just feels like against everything that I've believed and experienced and felt for myself. And so the question I want you to sit with and think about first and foremost is, can you see that that's what God says? That's the first question. The second question, if you can see that's what God says in the Bible, and this is the hard question that I, I've not spent much time thinking about myself and I wish I had, is whose good are you really committed to? You know, mostly for guys, um, I think it's just about what we want for ourselves. We're pretty selfish as guys and, um, you know, um, you know, sometimes for the ladies, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's about letting a guy have what he wants because you believe that's really loving him and you're worried that what it will cost you if you say no to him, you say you're not, you're going to deny him that, um, the thing I want to say is it's like it's not loving someone to keep helping them sin. You know, we've got to trust God with the consequences of honoring him. And in practicing this, you might lose a relationship, but God will bless you for it. Um, and you can trust him with that. And that's my second point is that relationships, they're about truly loving someone um, and not just loving yourself. That's point two. So point one, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. Point two, relationships are about um, truly loving people. Last point, and this is going to be a quicker point, relationships are about discernment. Um, you know, how do you measure normally when you're in a relationship how well it's going? If you're a guy, it's probably more likely to be, um, well, or often for all of us, it's like how well are you getting along, how much fun are you having? If you're a guy, it's more like likely to be like how physical are you and stuff, um, how, you know, um, how physical are you getting in things? If you're a girl, it's probably tends to be more like how close are you becoming? Um, you know, if we want to honor God with dating, our focus needs to be on discernment and not getting close, not on intimacy, right? Um, if these are the categories, we want to be figuring out, like discernment, are we meant to be getting married and stuff? If we can see that relationships are about Jesus and if we're truly called to love other people and not to mess around with them, then dating should be about discerning if you should get married. Um, you can't honor God and be in a relationship just for fun. It's not loving someone. You can't honor God and be in a relationship with someone that you would never marry. 
It's just not loving on them. You can't honor God and be in a relationship if you're nowhere near being ready to get married. It's not even on the cards for you at all. You know, relationships, it's been described to me, are like going down a corridor, you know, with lots of doors all the way down. It's like trying to open up every door along the way to try and discern, you know, find out about this. What are you, you know, what's, what's their character like? You know, um, what are they like with their parents? What are their beliefs about God and different things? And trying to discern as best you can. Like, is God in this? Like, is he calling us to get married? And that's where I kind of wanted to just finish this little point is just thinking about, okay, well, what are the qualities I should even be looking to discern in a relationship? And um, there's a list of them, of four things I got from this great book called uh, by Matt Chandler called The Mingling of Souls, um, God's Design for Love, Marriage, Sex, and Redemption. And he's got four points. The first one is we should be looking for character. Um, he's, the question Matt Chandler asks is what's their reputation like? Do they have a reputation as someone that loves Jesus? Are they known to be a person that deeply loves Jesus? Um, if they're not, if they don't have a reputation of having a good character, I mean, obviously, sometimes people have reputations that are not true. Um, but by and large, if they're known to be someone of not good character, then, you know, it, it's it's not a good idea to be, to be dating them. Um, so that's the first thing. Character, what's their reputation like? Second thing, submission to authority. Um, are they humble? Are they teachable? Um, Matt Chandler says this. He says, authority is not bad. Abuse of authority is bad. God gave, gave us institutions and authorities to help shape and protect us. So we have to ask, as we consider a member of the opposite sex for a romantic relationship, what is his reputation as it pertains to authority and submission? Is she in glad submission to any authorities over her? Has he placed himself under the authority of a local church? Is she in covenant with other church members? Does he submit to his pastors? How does she treat older men and women? Look to see if your prospective significant other is his own authority. See if she bristles or blossoms under proper authority. If you can't tell or if it doesn't seem as though he has any authority at all, I would pump the brake on the relationship. I think that's so wise. Like ultimately, you want someone who submits the authority of the Lord Jesus. And part of that is that we have authorities over their life. If they don't submit to the authority of, of the Lord Jesus, then they're going to be prone to doing their own thing. And that includes in your relationship. And and you don't want that. So I think that's a really good point. Submission to authority. Character submission to authority. Two more. And these you might not have thought of. Third point, suffering. Chandler um, says this, Most people are pleasant when the world is going the way they want. But a person's character can be seen most clearly when the brokenness of the world has invaded his or her peace. When the way he or she thinks ought to, ought to be, uh, things ought to be, is interrupted, disrupted, and dismantled. How does your partner respond to betrayal, to drama in her family, to arguments between friends? How does he behave when he's stressed, sick, frustrated, or tired? You're not looking for perfection, of course, because everyone except Jesus has responded to difficulty in ways that are out of step with the gospel. We're all sinners, and over time we engage in responses that are less godly. But in times of challenge, does the person you're attracted to circle back around and own her sin? Does she repent for ungodly responses and seek forgiveness? How prone to anger is he? There is a reason why, when a church is looking for leaders, it specifically excludes the quick-tempered. In times of stress, the fractures in our projected images appear. The real us, the one inside, is revealed. I think that's so true. What do they do when someone betrays them? Do they look to bite their head off back? Or do they respond in love and forgiveness and grace towards that person? 
you know, when we suffer, when we go through trials where they be small or large, the real person is exposed. And I think that's what we need to have our eyes open on. How do they respond to those things? And fourth, but finally, is commitment. Has he joined and become committed to a local church? Does she have a deepening relationship with a group of friends? How is his relationship with his family? I think that church membership is a huge consideration precisely because there's no such thing as a perfect church. And in our day and age in the West, we have so many options to choose from. Churches are full of sinners, so there will always be some messiness in a church. Churches are like families that way. So when a person stays in a church for a long period of time, there's evidence that she has been able to see that everything's not perfect, but she nevertheless says, I'm going to stay. I'm going to try and make this work. My commitment is more important than my desire to run away. If you find someone who's rootless, always looking for what's next, always looking for better than, better job, better group of friends, better church, better hobby, better whatever, you should be extremely cautious. I think that's so true. We want people that are committed, that they're in for the long haul. And if we find someone who is like that, always looking for the next thing, well, sooner or later, the next best thing is not going to be you. And I think that's really wise. Four different things. All right. Relationships are not about you, are about glory of Jesus. Relationships are about truly loving someone, not satisfying your desires. Relationships are about discernment, not about intimacy. Um, And um, that's where I'm going to end things. Um, You've got pieces of paper. What I want us to do is to kind of break up into twos or threes, um, maybe even on your couch or wherever you are. And so there's the people next to you. And I want you to talk about two things. Okay, first, um, how does what the Bible teaches about relationships challenge you? Um, And secondly... What are you still feeling unsure about? And if you've got questions or things that you want uh, the panel to talk about. So we're going to give you some good time, five, ten minutes, talk about those questions, and then we're going to turn it over to our Q&A time.